Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Abide in Liberty. I'm so glad you're here with me today. I want to start this episode by addressing a comment that a lady named Sandra Jackson uh, placed on one of my YouTube videos. You know, this was someone who was making the case that there is no evidence for God whatsoever, so believing in Him is just silliness. And we went back and forth a couple times, and she kind of ended with this summary. This is kind of where um, she put her point most succinctly. She said, The evidence you have submitted is not compelling enough to warrant my belief, and I cannot force my mind to accept it. It's not some choice I am making to not accept what you are telling me when you are making a claim about the indiscernible. Believe first, then evidence will be revealed? Does that not sound backwards to you? And the short answer is, yeah, it does sound backwards to me. Um, My God, I don't know about you guys, but my God believes in the scientific method, and it's all over the scriptures. You know, he talks repeatedly about um, how it's important for us to try and experiment upon his word. Try it. Try following what he taught. Plant that seed, and if it grows, and if you feel those swelling motions inside of you, if if that seed bears fruit that is sweet and that is good, then you know it's a good seed. You know that what you're trying to do is good and right. You know, when you talk about the scientific method, what what does that look like? Well, first you form a hypothesis. In this case, does God exist or does he not? You kind of you state your opinion, and then you design an experiment or you conduct an experiment meant to either prove or disprove that hypothesis. You identify and record the results. And then the the hallmark of a good experiment, and whether your conclusion is good or not, is if other people can take your experiment and replicate it with the same results. And God works the same way. Now, it's also important to note that when you form a hypothesis and you're designing an experiment or you're you're conducting, repeating an experiment that someone else has performed, you have to design your experiment in a way as to not build in bias. You can't decide ahead of time. You might have an opinion, but you cannot absolutely decide ahead of time what the results of that experiment will be. Otherwise, chances are you're going to design the experiment in a way or conduct it in a way that you will get the results that you want, that you're looking for. So you have to be open to a result that is different from your initial hypothesis. If not, then you're really just kind of wasting your time and your experiment and the results that your experiment yield are not reliable. So let me share a little bit what some of the experiments that I've conducted are with relation to God. Um, I've tried following his teachings, following his example, and keeping his commandments. And I can tell you the fruits of that are sweet indeed. Um, When he says that by doing that, which, you know, following Christ is not easy. It's hard work. But when he promises that if you do, your burden will be lighter, your, that his yoke is easier, I've proven that to be true. And it doesn't make logical sense, but it's absolutely true. Um, I've also tried many, many times to pray and ask for guidance. And when I received those impressions and those feelings, I followed it. And when after dozens and dozens of times when I've done that, when most of the time the answers I get don't make sense and they go against what I personally would prefer. And normally it requires me to do more work than I would want to do. But when I follow those and I get 
positive results every single time and I, I see growth and I'm happier as a result, well, that's pretty good evidence too that there's someone out there guiding and directing me that knows me better than I know myself, that knows how to lead me to happiness better than I can all on my own. And then finally, when I kneel down and I ask, I, I send out into the void the question, are you there? Are you real? And do you love me? The, the thoughts and the impressions and the feelings that come are so powerful that I can't possibly deny it. And they're so sweet that, you know, if it were possible for me to just force myself to feel that all the time, I would. But I can't. I've tried it. Those come from somewhere beyond me, from something more righteous, more pure, more light than I have inside of me on my own. And I know 100% that that's true. So when I've tried those experiments, I can measure and discern those results. You know, Sandra made the comment that uh, these claims are indiscernible and they're not indiscernible but, but indiscernible, but you have to be willing to try the experiment and accept that he really might be there. Now, the final test is, is this experiment, the, these experiments that I've conducted, are they replicable? And the answer is yes. You know, I, I'm conducting these experiments because someone who lived a very long time ago did it, him or herself, recorded those results and what we now have as scriptures and invited us to put it to the test ourselves so that when we do and we get the same results, that's a pretty good sign that there's something to this. And I'm not the only one that's done this. There are billions of people over the course of hundreds and thousands of years that have replicated those experiments and gotten the same results. There is something to that. Now, let's, uh, she also mentioned that it's, you know, you can really only believe something if it's discernible by your five senses. Well, by that definition, you know, we believe, I've, I've seen cells under a microscope and you can see that with a typical microscope, but you know uh, a standard microscope that most of us have access to are not powerful enough to see atoms and to see the electrons that revolve around the the atom's nucleus. Yet there are science experiments done with very expensive electron microscopes and particle accelerators that have been documented multiple times that show that these atoms are really there, even though we can't see them. And we're expected to trust what those scientists, what those really smart people have told us about the existence, and we don't question that. Yet somehow, even though I haven't seen them myself, I've not picked up and held an atom that I can discern anyways. I've not seen them. I can't smell it. I don't, they don't say anything, so I can't really hear it. And if I throw, pop that atom in my mouth, I don't really taste it. So is it not real? Well, of course it's there. And of course it's real, even though I can't discern it. Now, the thing with God, though, is in his existence, he doesn't, he doesn't rely on us to just trust other people. He's made it possible for us to repeat the experiment ourselves without any specialized equipment, without any specialized education or degree. Every single person on the planet can conduct the experiments that he's laid out in his scriptures and find out for themselves. So in that way, Trying the experiment of God's existence takes a far smaller leap of faith than simply trusting what scientists tell us about the existence of atoms, which is pretty much universally accepted at this point. So why not conduct the experiment? Really, the only logical reason 
for refusing to conduct an experiment to find out if God is real as if we're nervous that he might tell us to do some things that we don't want to do. Atoms don't do that, right? So we don't have any problem accepting the words of others. But, ooh, God might want me to kick that habit. He might want me to to stop my selfish ways and go serve others. So we're going to rationalize him out of existence. And that's really all there is to it. And along those lines, I want to spend a, a couple minutes on an educational point. Today, we had the privilege of taking our students from Liberty Youth Academy to go sing uh, some of the songs that they'll be singing in the spring program coming up here and practicing them for some retirement communities. I was able to go on one of these, and as I was sitting there listening to these, these young spiritual giants singing their hearts out about their belief in Christ, about His ability to heal and comfort and solve problems that we can't solve ourselves. And it just hit me. Again, there, there was that feeling that was present in that room that if I could make myself feel it all the time, I would, but I can't. It's real and it comes from somewhere else. And I know that something else is God testifying of the truth of what those young people were saying. And the other thing that just hit me was these kids, you know, they're we put a lot of focus, and rightly so, on math and on language development and on science. But, you know, the world's most complicated problems, these kids have the solution to it. And if, if, if our education has them learning all of these great things about science and history and mathematics, but it neglects to give them the key to solve the world's greatest problems, which is Jesus Christ, then that education is falling short. Um, there is nothing more important than that. And the great thing is about this, and Henry B. Eyring talks about this, that when, when you've got that spiritual education rock solid, then the rest comes so easily. And it was just great to see these young people singing their hearts out and realizing they've got, they've got the solution to the world's biggest problems. And yes, math is important. Yes, they're getting all of that as well. But man, they, they've got what counts eternally. That was so cool to see. All right. Now, kind of a complete change of gears now. I want to spend, I want to give kind of a little bit of a Founders and Revolutionary War highlight. I've done kind of brief overviews of American history and the American Revolution in particular. And I've talked about this event, but I want to give it, it deserves a little bit more time and attention. The first shots of the Revolutionary War were fired in 1775, and on July 4, 1776, we officially declared our independence. That was kind of the pinnacle of the beginning of the Revolutionary War. Uh, George Washington had just shown up. Um, they had just liberated Boston. He had moved his, uh, at this time, he had moved his army to New York and was preparing to repel the British Navy from taking New York City. And at this time, we Americans were just energized. We thought we were invincible. Well, uh, a few short months later, and after suffering uh, just a humiliating defeat in New York City and, you know, kind of just in full blown retreat from New York all the way down uh, around the area of Trenton, New Jersey, we, we find ourselves. A couple days before Christmas, 1776, just beaten down, 
We've got about a week before the enlistment of the majority of the Continental Army is up. So the army essentially is going to disband and we're going to be reliant on new recruits uh, to carry the war forward. But we've just been hammered. So morale is incredibly low. George Washington's looking at all of this. It's cold. His soldiers are ill-equipped for winter. They don't have enough food. Many of them don't have adequate shoes and a blizzard rolls in a week before these enlistments are up. And he knows he's kind of in a desperate situation. The revolution is hanging on a thread and they've just barely started. He himself has suffered a humiliating defeat after humiliating defeat. So you got to imagine what that would do to your own personal confidence and your ability to, to continue this fight. And he does, in light of all this, he does something incredible. About this time, you know, there it's a day or two before Christmas, uh, a pamphlet that Thomas Paine had put out. I, I don't know if he read this and it re-energized him, but he certainly used that pamphlet to re-energize his troops. This is the the one that starts with, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this moment shrink from the service of their country, but those that bear it now will uh, merit the thanks of, of his country for his sacrifices. And so he, he causes this to be read, and then he, he sends them off on this daring mission to cross the Delaware River in the middle of a blizzard. There's huge chunks of ice kind of careening down this river. And so the risk of hitting one of those chunks of ice of being capsized and dumping horses and cannon and, and men into the freezing water to their deaths is very real. Um, you know, a lot of the paintings kind of show them crossing, but it, it, it's hard to capture just how dangerous this crossing really was. The morale is just in the toilet. And not only that, he's going to have them cross in the middle of the night and then surprise attack the German Hessian soldiers the morning of Christmas morning. Now, uh, why were Germans over there? The These were mercenary troops that the British had hired, and these were the most feared mercenary troops on the planet. Uh, these were the these were the toughest of the tough. So this bedraggled group is supposed to cross in a blizzard, march miles across freezing countryside, many with no shoes, and they're going to attack this Hessian army in their stronghold on Christmas morning. I mean, this was to say that this was a daring idea and a bold idea is to understate the case, but that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. Now, I don't know exactly how George Washington came to this and came to believe that that uh, that this was something he could achieve. You know, he certainly was a religious man. There's been some debate about that in recent years, but it's not an honest debate. You know, was he was he praying about this? I'm sure he was praying about this. And people say, no, he didn't believe in God. The painting of him praying in the forest isn't real. And that's true. It, he, it wasn't really in George Washington's personality to go out and pray in public like that. But his staff walked in on him praying all the time. And there was a certain time of day that they knew you just kind of stay out because he's he's doing his devotions. He's reading his Bible. He's praying and getting guidance. So anyways, um, he certainly would have prayed before something like this. Um, but was this just a Hail Mary pass? I, I'm not really sure. But the fact is he did it. He tried it. Um, he knew there was really no other chance. He needed to to revitalize the country's morale and re reinstate the belief in everybody that this was a winnable fight. And so he tried it and it succeeded brilliantly, despite the fact that 
you know, some of the, or one of his, the prongs of his attack um, kind of gave up on crossing and they didn't know that until after the fact, despite the fact that they were hours late, um, you know, it worked out that the Hessians were drunk after their partying Christmas Eve. And, um, you know, the, these, <laughs> this ragtag bunch of people came in and, and won the day against one of the most feared fighting forces on the planet. Just a remarkable, remarkable feat. And uh, those who followed him, those who didn't try to just slink away and slip into the night, we owe an incredible debt of gratitude to. And their bravery is just incredible. The fact that George Washington was had it, had it, had it together enough to set aside all of his failures and the the blow that his confidence must have taken and try this, the fact that he was able to pull it off, that he was out there in front um, leading his men as they charged and stormed the streets of Trenton. I mean, George Washington was just a stud. Now, why, why share this story? I mean, it's a cool story. This is one of the iconic stories of the American Revolution, but what can we learn from this story? one of the biggest lessons that I take from this is that there is always hope. No matter how dark things seem, there is always hope that things can be better tomorrow. And they certainly were for, for this army. Many of the, those folks who uh, fought in the Battle of Trenton, their enlistments were up on December 31st and they went home. Some re-enlisted, But this revitalized the country and the country's faith in the cause of freedom so much that they were able to get new recruits and the fight continued for many more years, but it didn't die on the vine like very realistically could have happened without this this daring attack on Trenton. The other lesson is that great events and major movements throughout history are built on leaps of faith. As my wife and I have worked on um, building this school, Liberty Youth Academy, um, God has asked us to take leap of faith after, after leap of faith. And I believe that that is something that all of us will be required to do if we're prayerfully seeking out what God wants us to do. And those leaps of faith should not be things to run from. We should lean into those. And and see them for what they are. They're the building blocks of greatness. They're the building blocks of of advancing God's work on on the earth. I also think we may be at a crossing the Delaware moment in our personal lives and in our country. Evil is on the rise. We were staring um, what seems like could be a superior force, or at least a force that is scarier and has greater numbers, much like the those Continental soldiers were staring down this scary Hessian fighting force. But what are we going to do when we face those moments, when we feel like there's no possible way we can win this battle? That if, if I put my neck out here, it might get chopped off. That if I lead this charge, whatever the case is, whether it's in a school board or um, in my own family, whatever the case is, or with my job, right? If I stick my neck out here, am I going to get it chopped off? You know, we've kind of gotten, we've grown soft in this country in recent years where we're not willing to take risks. You know, just the risk of, 
shoot, I don't know. <laughs> Investing in stocks versus bonds just gets us all scary. Well, what about risking our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor? Um, that's what it's going to take. That that's what that was the cost for purchasing our freedom. And if we're going to maintain it, it's going to require the same level of commitment. So are we going to shy away from that? Are we going to take the easy road? Or are we going to do what's hard? Are we going to do what's a little bit risky? Are we going to do what's scary? And trust that God will be there to back us up. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.